continue in uh, the book of Colossians, picking up where Pastor Wayne left off last week with verse 20 of chapter 2. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. May we be like the man in Psalm 1, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, he meditates both day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he does prospers. I pray that as we submit ourselves to the authority of your word, as we come under the teaching of your word, that you would transform us and continue to mold us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Well, what are you thinking about this morning? If I ask you to write down on the outline that you picked up on your way in, the three subjects that most consume your time, what would they be? You know, Christ put that question in a statement when he said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, where your treasure is located is, is, reveals what is of value to you, reveals what, what preoccupies your mind. It's what you're thinking about. It's what's in your heart. That's what Proverbs says. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Last week, we encountered this word asceticism, and I assumed everyone knew what that was, but I obviously was not as clear as I needed to be. So why is this needing to be addressed now in the book of Colossians and also in this century with us? Why is that? Well, let me revisit this issue of asceticism for just a brief moment. This word asceticism comes from uh, the Greek word for to labor or to exercise. It's the idea that you can achieve holiness through physical means, through physical hardships. Certainly the scriptures are clear that we are to buffet our bodies daily. That's what Paul told the church there at Corinth in chapter 9. It's a common analogy for that day because you got to remember the Olympics were still going on. The Olympics don't cease until 393 A.D. under Theodosius. But the Olympics were every four years. The year before the Olympics and the year after the Olympics, they had what was called the Isthmian Games. And you know what an isthmus is, right? It's a land bridge that uh, is actually where Corinth is located. It's located there at an isthmus. And that connects you to the, what is it, Peloponnese Peninsula and the mainland Greece. And so during these, these 
Isthmian Games and the Olympics. I mean, there were people training all the time, constantly. And so his point is this. What you're doing for physical conditioning of the body that you might compete needs to also be done mentally if your soul is going to be what it needs to be. That's his point here. In other words, you, can lay, you can't lay on the couch and eat potato chips and drink pop and then have your body physically compete at its highest levels. You just can't do that. And you can't continue habits that once led you into rebellion. You can't continue with them. You can't if you're going to walk in fellowship with Christ. It can be done. So just as physical discipline is good, mental discipline is good. What your mind feeds on directs your life. So if what you believe is based on a lie, how are you going to live in fellowship with a God who is holy? How is that possible? You know, Christ says you must worship him. This isn't optional. You must worship him in spirit and truth. In Colossae, the early formation of Gnosticism was just taking root. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word to know, gnosis. In other words, they felt like they were in the know because of, of these uh, special angelic revelations that they were receiving. They, their philosophy was based on what they knew. Now, I want you to watch how men can take two truths and make them into a lie. And why would they do that? Well, it benefits them. So what are you talking about? Watch this. God is spirit, right? Right. So you're to worship him in spirit, right? Right. And man, in his flesh, has fallen. Is that not correct? Well, that's true. That's true. Man is fallen. Therefore, these are the Gnostics, claim you can know God with your spirit. You can know him. You can worship him. You can be in fellowship with him according to your spirit. But it really doesn't matter what you do with the flesh because after all, the flesh is evil. So these tenets of Gnosticism, I mean, they're very attractive to fallen men who like the idea that you can praise God with your spirit and then you can live however you want in the flesh. Now, if everything that is of the Lord is spiritual, because he's holy, and if everything of the flesh is evil, and certainly what is the definition of evil? You remember that? It's just an ontological parasite on the holiness of God. So anything contrary to God's holy will, that is considered evil. Are men evil? Yes, they are. Why? Because they violate his holy will. So you take those two truths, everything that is of the Lord is spiritual, everything that is of man you know, it's, it's fleshly, it's fallen, it's evil. What's the lie? Christ then cannot be God and be fully human. Do you see the deception of the demonic realm and how it works? It is true. It is true. All men born of the seed of Adam are by nature sinful. They're selfish, they're arrogant, they're indulgent. That's one of the reasons that Christ's entrance into humanity could not come by the seed of Adam. Couldn't be possible. There's, there are other reasons. I mean, another one is the fact that he already existed from eternity past. 
That's why the Bible never says that Joseph was the father. Never does it say that. It only says that Mary was the human instrument by which the incarnation occurs. That's what the Lord said in the, in the garden, is it not? The one who comes to crush the serpent's head and the sin that he brings and the death that results, the one who comes to crush that will be born of the seed of woman. Now, we all know that women do not provide the seed for human life. If you don't know that, you can talk to Dr. Goller back there. He'll explain it to you. The problem with this is when the Lord talks about being not born of the seed of Adam, but being born of the seed of woman, he's talking about one who will enter into humanity through the woman, but not be as a result of Adam's seed. So the teaching of Gnosticism that was infiltrating this church, here's the lie. God is holy, man is evil, therefore you can be right with God spiritually and you can do whatever you want as a man in the flesh. And not only that, but Christ cannot be fully human. If that were true, they just nullified your atonement. Christ had to be not only divine to satisfy the just wrath of God, he had to be fully human to make atonement for humans. That's why this is so critical. And we see leftover elements of this nonsense of the body being evil and so in in the centuries that follow after this is written as a matter of fact uh, one of the founding fathers Athanasius wrote about Antony Antony's the founder of of monasticism and you know what that is right where where monks uh, believe that you can deny your flesh if not even punish your flesh in order to commend yourself to the Lord this is why hermits would, would, would leave, go dwell in caves. It's why they would eat sparingly. It's why they would wear sackcloth and ashes. Now, this, monasti- this uh, uh, monastic movement was because of how the government corrupted the church. You know what I'm talking about? When, when Theodosius, after Constantine called off the murder of, of Christians, Theodosius takes it a step further in 393 AD and says, listen, everybody born... Everybody born within the Roman Empire is going to be a member of the Roman church. What do you have now? You've got bad people who are a part of the church. That's why the monks said, we're out of here. We're out of here. We're going to have to try to escape this. And so they they go out into the wilderness. Martin Luther, prior to the Reformation, this goes on from the late 4th century all the way up to the Reformation. In the 16th century. Martin Luther nearly destroyed his health over this stuff. Monks would take vows of silence and vows of poverty and and vows to abstain from certain foods. And and they would make certain pilgrimages to to certain cities. And when they got there, they, they believed that somehow or another, if they would crawl on their hands and their knees, which was a show of humility, they would go for miles that way to 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 damage their body, to inflict pain on their body in order to be pleasing to the Lord. It's crazy. And we still have that today. Do you realize that? Within Islam, 
I mean, you've heard of the Sunnis and the Shiites. I think it's more prevalent among the Shiites. But, but the, the Shiites within certain sects, they, they, they will take chains and knives to their body to commemorate the martyrdom of Hussein in the house of Muhammad. That's as a means of making themselves more acceptable to their God, Allah. Now, in milder forms, some during Lent, they won't eat ice cream and they won't eat meat on Fridays and that kind of thing. But, it, you know, it, it might surprise you to know that outside of the United States, asceticism ranks well above legalism or mysticism. Matter of fact, when I... Uh, was teaching in India, which I did for about 12 years, and uh, I would get up about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning to go over my lessons for the day because breakfast is at 6, I would leave at 7 to go out, and sometimes I was there for 10, 12 hours teaching, so I would get up to go over my notes for that day. And as I'm sitting outside my hotel room on a little patio with my little desk light on, looking at this, all over the hotel grounds were Buddhist in frozen positions. I'm here reading this, getting ready to teach, and 50 feet away is this Buddhist in these various positions. They've been there all night. They won't break character until the sun comes up. And then they come into the breakfast hall and binge for the next couple of hours. See, these kinds of lies, they not only torture the flesh, they mislead the soul. That's why if it's not properly addressed, this issue of asceticism will destroy the Christian's thinking, which will misdirect his life. And instead of worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, out of gratitude for his grace and his goodness, you know what you'll do? I just talked to a young couple between services. That's their background. Coming out of a place where the focus was on a list of do's and don'ts. This is still prevalent all across our community. So we all need this, right? Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits. That's one word of the Greek. Stoichion. Some translate it rudimentary principles. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, he sees you as being dead to the world and alive in Christ. Why would you submit to these regulations? Now this word if is not a question. It's an indicative. It would be better translated since because it assumes a fact. Since with Christ you died to this old way of thinking, that you once thought was so important, since you have died with Christ to that old nonsense, why are you still concerned about don't handle this, don't taste that, don't touch these? Verse 22 clarifies that he's referring to religious teachings that men claim will make you holier. Let me give you an example. I don't drink, okay? But my abstinence from alcohol doesn't make me holy before God. I mean, being in Christ, I may not drink because I, I don't want to be filled with the kind of spirits that hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. But abstaining from alcohol can't make me holy. 
I was told early on that alcohol kills brain cells, and I knew from a very early age I didn't have that many brain cells. And I certainly didn't want to kill any of them. I was also told that, you know, at some point, consuming alcohol can get you in a lot of trouble. You might get a DUI, which could really cost you. That drinking might also damage not only your health, but your marriage, your work relations. So I choose not to drink. But when I'm born again in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, right? I don't need anyone to now lay down those same rudimentary principles for me anymore. I don't need that. Let's say those of you that are 30, 40, 50 years old, and you go home for Christmas, would you not be offended if your mother said, now, I, want, I, want, I, want, I want you to listen to me, son. You need to be in by 930 tonight. You know the rules here. You don't get up from the table until you've finished eating your broccoli, and don't you forget to take a bath and brush your teeth before you go to bed. Mom, I don't need those regulations from you. I'm an adult. It's like a butterfly who has died to be in a caterpillar. He's a new creation. He doesn't need anyone telling him to stop crawling around in the dirt. He's not crawling around in the dirt. He's soaring high above the rest of us. That's his nature now. I mean, to call a butterfly back to his cocoon and give him the principles of being a caterpillar again would be insulting to him. That's Paul's point. Do you see it? If, if you identify with Christ in his death for your sins, you no longer need to think like a caterpillar. I mean, why go back to crawling again? Elemental spirits are the basic building blocks of how the world thinks. In Christ, you died. You died to that kind of thinking. So why, why are you trying to gain God's approval through keeping physical regulations like what world religions do? Do you see the end of verse 20 there? Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Do you realize that's in the middle voice in the, in the Greek? In an active voice, what do you do? You do something. In the passive voice, what happens? Something is done to you. In the middle voice, what is that? That's when you do something to yourself. Verse 22, it is foolish for someone who's born again in Christ to willingly place himself under a worldly system of religion. I mean, Christ put it this way. He said, don't you know that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth, that proceeds from the heart. That's what defiles you. It's out of your heart that come these evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander and all of these. That's what defiles you as a person. Now, the Old Testament did have dietary codes. Why? What was the reason for them? Should we continue to follow them? What was the purpose for our Old Testament dietary codes? They were given to set Israel apart from the other nations. Why? 
Well, because through the codes and the festivals and the laws and the feasts and so forth, these were all shadows the Lord was giving to the world through Israel of the one who was to come. I mean, sacrificing a lamb at Passover never cleansed you of sin. They did that for 1,500 years as a shadow, a picture, a symbol of the Lamb of God who would satisfy the just wrath your sin deserves. He is the one who cleansed you of your sins by his shed blood. In their dietary code, you were not to eat bottom feeders like catfish or vultures. Why? They fed on death. So, so those dietary laws that are serving as a, as a shadow that is meant to teach us a profound truth that is fulfilled in Christ, what, what purpose did they serve? They serve the purpose of pointing you to the one who will separate you from death. Abstinence from foods did not commend you to God. Those dietary codes were simply to teach you that a holy God requires a clean people. And once you've been made clean through the cleansing blood of Christ, those shadows no longer serve a purpose. They no longer serve a purpose. Can you eat catfish? Yes. Good stuff. Brisket? Absolutely. Rocky Road ice cream? Oh, yeah. Because not eating those things never made you holy to begin with. Never. They served as a picture of how you will be made holy. So, once you've been made holy in Christ, why would you go back to those shadows again? When the purpose for those laws have all been fulfilled. Christ said, I didn't come to do away with them. I came to fulfill them. But here's why men do it. Look at verse 22. Do you see it? Here's why men like it. According to human precepts and teachings. The idea of asceticism as a means of righteousness never originated with the Lord. No, no, no. They took what the Lord gave for good that was a, that was a shadow. And it was man that then took that and distorted it and made it into something that it was not. Boy, I wish asceticism was true. You know that? Don't you? Don't you wish you could eat certain foods and be holy? I mean, how awesome would it be if you could feed your children carrots and they would automatically become obedient? Everybody would be growing carrots in their backyard, wouldn't they? Here, son, eat this banana. It will make you humble and pious. That's some banana. That'd be terrific, wouldn't it? It would, if it wasn't nonsense. Now, you might say, well, why do we need, yes, we need this. But I'll tell you where you can't preach this. You can't preach this in India or Sri Lanka or, or um, China or Bangladesh or any of those places. You know why? Because you go in there and you read to them this text and then you're seen out in the streets eating that which holy people are not allowed to eat, you're in trouble, big trouble. Now, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but you know what? They're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let, let, let me illustrate the summary he just gave you there, okay? 
That's the last verse, chapter 2. That's the summary. Let me give you an illustration of it. You've heard of the Amish, right? The Amish separated from the Baptists back in the late 1600s because of Jacob Armand, right? They were following him. And if you go today, you go today up in Ohio, Pennsylvania, places up and through New England there, you will notice that the Amish, they don't use electricity. They don't use telephones. They don't use automobiles. They've got very strict dress codes. They won't buy insurance. They won't accept Social Security because you need to be separate from the government. And they do want to give an appearance of holiness. That's why they're separating themselves from all of the, 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 the new modern conveniences of life. You know what their problem is? An ex-Amish lady revealed it. She said one of the sins that is most plaguing of their religion is materialism. I know what you're thinking. Amish? Materialism? Really? How's that possible? She said you wouldn't believe the great competition that is between the buggies. Some buggies are made of better wood than others. Some are made with more ornate decoration than others. Some Amish will sneak into junkyards and steal upholstery in order to make their buggy fancier. And the kind of horse that draws your buggy says a lot about you. Is it a workhorse or do you have a Tennessee walker? Did you know they had BMW buggies? And you know what? They so highly esteem the trait of humility that there's a great deal of pride, she said, among those who appear the most humble. They take all of these steps to separate from the world. And yet, you know what happens to their kids? Do you know what Amish teenagers do? They leave home to sow their wild oats. They've even given it a name. It's called Rumspringa. That comes from the German uh, word for running around. Rumspringa. That's when they go womanized. When they go drinking. When they go driving automobiles. It's a time of transition from childhood to adulthood. But the Amish believe that they will return home at some point. And at that time, they will be baptized. And they'll return to the graces of their religion. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. You can forego eating meat on Friday, which dates back to the 4th century. And you know what? You'll still struggle with lust. You'll still struggle. Coveting. You'll still have to battle immorality in your life. Eating fish rather than ribeye will not change your sinful passions. They won't do it. You ever been to a state fair and, 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 and seen the, the, the pig competition? Oh, man. Some of them farmers come in there with their pigs pretty gussied up. They got bows around them, and they've sprayed them with perfume. And, man, they look good. They smell good. They are great pigs. And when they take them back home, you know what those pigs do? They go right back to the slop and start wallowing again. Why? Why is that? Because you can gussy up a pig all you want, but you cannot change a pig's nature with external means. Same thing is true of humans. Same thing is true of us. You can gussy us up. Or you can, you can put, put a long flowing robe on me. Put, put some fancy stuff then around my neck. Let me come out here wearing some flactories. You know what that is? That's those uh, little oblong rectangular boxes 
that have got scripture in them. They're, they're made out of leather, and they strap them onto their forehead. Got to keep that scripture right there. And they got zitzits. Not zits, but zitzits. Those are the little blue and white braided things that hang, that, that hang down off of their garments. You can give them titles. You can give them degrees. You can give them all kinds of things to make them look holy. But all those bells and whistles cannot change their heart. Can't do it. That's why Christ said, look, what's in a man's heart? That's what defiles him. Philosophy, legalism, mysticism, asceticism, they're all useless. By the way, that covers all of Western philosophy and all of Eastern mysticism. There's a huge difference between a religious mindset and a Christian's mindset. See, religious people focus on what they do to make themselves appear better. Whereas Christians are constantly thinking how. How do we think? How can I most glorify Christ? Not bringing attention to myself. But how can I most glorify him? And do you see the point that he goes on to make in these first few verses of chapter 3? If then, there's the word un again. You saw it back in verse 20 when it was therefore or since. If then you, since you have not simply died, but you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Is the new nature you have the result of a vision of, of, of angels? No. Was your life transformed by eating a banana or by not eating catfish? No. Was it transformed by the clothes that you put on? Do you see his point? It's nonsense. You received a new nature the day, the day your faith in Christ opened your eyes to the truth of God's holiness and the truth of your ineptness as a sinner to be able to reconcile yourself to your creator. That's when you got up off your knees with gratitude for the hope and the purpose he gave you. Therefore, you seek, this is in the imperfect tense, you know what that means? The action of this verb in the imperfect tense means it's never finished. You never stop seeking. You never stop pursuing what? The things that are above where Christ is. He is your life, he's going to go on to say. He is the head of this church. He is seated at the right hand of God. Notice that he doesn't just say things above. He's not talking about visions or angels. He says things above where Christ is. And when he says seated at the right hand of God, it simply indicates that his work of redemption is complete. Right hand in the Old Testament was always an expression for authority. Christ has the divine authority to redeem men. And being seated indicates he is finished. It is finished. You know, the scripture never tells us how Christ dressed or what he ate or whether he had a ball spot. And thank goodness for that. I mean, if, if the scripture had ever said anything about him having a ball spot, there would be men going and getting ball spot cuts every week. That's what asceticism does. But what the Bible tells us is why he came. 
to give his life as a ransom for many. Not how tall he was, not how much he weighed. I mean, he was probably about, I don't know, 5'5", five, five, maybe 190 pounds or something. Doesn't tell us how he physically looked. It tells us about his atoning death that reconciles us with our creator. Therefore, how shall we live? He tells you, verse 2, you better set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. To the Philippian church, Paul put it this way. He said, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's it. Things above are not limited to our future life in heaven. They have to do with our activities here on earth where we are presently pursuing those activities with a heavenly perspective. See, that was the problem with the farmer in Luke 12. Do you remember that? It's the only person that I know of that Christ ever called a fool. Why? He said, I'm going to tear down these barns and build bigger ones. Now, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. What was the problem? The problem was his present plans to build the bigger barns had no heavenly perspective. <laughs> you know, Christ says he was going to die that day. He was going to die that day. And yet all he can think about is that which he's going to leave behind. The reason that Christ calls him a fool is because his plans on earth had no view of heaven in sight. You remember what Christ said in Matthew 7? Don't you say Lord, Lord to me unless you're actually fulfilling my, my purposes for your life. Don't you say Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says Lord, Lord to me. is acceptable. I don't care how many religious things you've done. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does my Father's will, which is in heaven. And many are going to say to me in that day, oh, Lord, look at all the wonderful things that we did. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. You know what we hear a lot within the church? Hear it frequently. I feel the Lord is leading me. Sometimes, according to God's word, he does lead. But what happens most of the time is, I feel like the Lord is leading me, and then they will go on to talk about what it is they want to do. And they're going to justify what they want to do by rubber stamping it with, the Lord wants me to do this. Why? Why would they do that? Their mind is focused on something here on earth that honestly has no heavenly perspective at all. So in verse 3, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden. That's the word crypto. It's where we get crypt. It's a safety deposit box. Your life is so secure, it is said to be hidden with Christ in God. When I die, what little I might have will go to my wife because we are one. Spiritually, I died at my conversion. Thus, I am not kept by the world's philosophy, not by the religious legalism or mysticism or asceticism, but by the grace of God through faith in the one who has redeemed me. And therefore, I am one with him. I am secure. Verse 4, 
when Christ, who is your life, appears. Now he's talking about Christians here. I don't know if he's talking about you, but he's talking about Christians. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, he who saved me in the past secures me for the future. So why in my wildest dreams would I focus my life on that which is leading a fallen world into deception? Into nonsense. Why would I go back to that? And so what this means, ladies, is it doesn't matter whether you wear makeup or not. It doesn't matter if your hair is up in a bun. And you guys, I mean, if you want to cut your hair close on the side and part it on the right and, and, and wear a white shirt with skinny ties and avoid Rocky Road ice cream at Lent, I mean, that, that's fine. You can do that. Read your Bible privately every day. Pray publicly every Sunday. Attend church every week regularly. That's all fine and that's all good. But, but if all that stuff is not a result of your life in Christ that has a heavenly perspective. Your life will be a miscarriage of your misdirected faith. If you can't be humble like Christ, who washed the feet of sinners, if you can't be gentle like Christ, who said, suffer the little children to come to me, well, I'm not going to be faithful teaching those children because that doesn't really fit into my goals here on earth or within this church. I mean, if you can't be compassionate and forgiving as Christ who said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. If you can't be as selfless as Christ who said, not my will here in the flesh, nobody in their right mind in the flesh would want to go through what I'm about to go through and satisfying the just wrath of God. But it's not my will here in the flesh, thine be done. That which you determined back before the world was created. When you chose to redeem them in me before you ever fashioned the earth, a little blue marble, and set it into space. If you can't have the integrity of the one who said, Who accuses me of sin? If you can't have the patience of Christ, who being reviled did not revile in return, who in his suffering uttered no threats. High standard, didn't it? If those born again in Christ can't do that, you know what? Their earthly focused religion is going to lead to a miscarriage of their misdirected faith because there's a huge difference between man's religion and your life in Christ whom you seek his will in his glory. That's Paul's point to the church. Don't get caught up in earthly religious rules and regulations. You've got to keep your focus where it belongs in Christ. He is your life. It's his will, his purposes that you are constantly thinking about. Who you are in Christ. Because he is your life. Is that true? Is that true? Now, if you have questions, you can go to the Connect table or you can come see me this week. I'm always glad to meet with you throughout the week. But before you leave this morning, I want to let you know that we, we've kind of created an annual event called the Forward Conference. It's for all of our families, and you can even invite other families to come as well. But it's for all of you, every one of you. It's going to be this year on Saturday, the 
September the 24th, which I, I, I don't know if that's Ram Hashanah, it's either the evening of the 24th or 25th. And so it's going to be from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, there's also going to be a Friday night hymn sing if you want to come. Kevin's going to lead you, kind of prepare you for Saturday. It's going to be a special service that will follow Saturday here on Sunday morning with the theme of Christ, our treasure, and our guest speaker is going to be Dustin Binge. Dustin is a professor of biblical spirituality at Southern Seminary who also teaches in Ireland and Wales and all across this globe. We've got a number of books out. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of this opportunity by registering at the table back there where Tim is. Okay. Now, why do we need you to register? It's because the Van Eppses are planning a barbecue lunch for you on that Saturday. And uh, they're not going to try to cook it for you, but they're going to connect you with Red State Barbecue, which has probably the best barbecue around. And uh, Red State's going to come and they're going to uh, cater this, uh, this event. And so we just need to know who's coming. And you can tell him back there if you're coming and not eating or if you're coming and you're eating. Okay? And um, uh, we, we just need for you to do that. And I've also been told when I was asked to make this announcement that you can also register by scanning the QR code on your bulletin. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no clue what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know what a QR code is and I don't know how to do it. But if you have questions about that, Tim can answer it, Kevin can answer it, younger people here can answer it. So they will be glad to show you how to do that if you don't know, which is probably what I'm gonna do. Stand with me as we pray. Lord, I pray that where we, and particularly me, has been earthly focused on that which will one day be consumed. Lord, we, and particularly me, would, we pray would genuinely repent. Genuinely. And that you would change our focus to be solely on Christ because he alone provides an eternal perspective on every aspect of our life. That is our prayer, Lord. That is our prayer. And we ask it in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.